My name's Tracy Smith. I was born and raised in Kalamazoo, Michigan. In 1998, I attended the South by Southwest Film Festival in Austin, Texas. And at a promotional side event at a local coffee house, I saw a showcase featuring some of the most talented performance poets in the country. Afterwards, I returned home and founded the Kalamazoo Poetry Slam. Now, almost 25 years later, for the sake of history, for the sake of nostalgia, and for some of the incredibly talented people we've lost along the way, I give you, dear listener, the Keizu Poetry Slamcast. This is Slam Poem. Later, like, the poems are like, you dirty fucking whore. But this is one of the good ones from the beginning. My ears reach in the suburban noise of night. There's a question asked in one naked moment that never crossed into the I am the Smith. I am the poet. I am the Industrial Revolution. No longer bright as fireflies. No this week's Keizu Slamcast was recorded on January 23rd, 2001. The open mic features poetry from Drakenbirch, Chris Fisher, Julian Baker, Dawn Saylor, and Greg Bliss. The feature poet is one of my favorite human beings of all time, Miss Lucy Anderton. Another favorite poet of mine, Mr. Jim Dwyer, once wrote a poem about her. And I quote, When she smiles, it's like nothing hurts and everything's free. She writes like a warrior. She walks and talks like she means it. She is alive. And now you are too. Far from it. They kept doing the same old forever until the largest colony of melted neurons the world has ever known decided that this must be genius. Oh, but didn't they have a cool name? Damn, that was a disappointment the first time I actually heard their music. Love and Spoonful with rednecks on guitar. Disney does heavy music. It's so nice, and it's twice as good on acid. Let's get this straight. How many truly great works of art were committed solely due to the influence of acid? Zero. The dense music is easier to appreciate and deeper on acid. So is my toenail, and I guarantee you my toenail is no work of art. <laughs> what that deadhead scene was really all about was repeatability. The warm, fuzzy comfort of 25 different versions of trucking. The dead didn't tell you to go to confession. The Pope never told you to drop acid. It was all so predictable. None of those personal contortions and painful self-reevaluations attended on the careers of, say, Bob Dylan or Pete Townsend. The dead started stoned and tripping and fucking well stayed that way. No Melissa Etheridge-style surprises. In fact, no surprises of any damn kind whatsoever like turning on your favorite TV shows to see minor variations on the same plot and characters, the same cheesy appeals to the fuck, flight, or fight reflex, over and over and over. And acid only releases the chemicals in anybody's brain which are already there and usually used in creating or absorbing works of the imagination, the new and different. In short, if it's really interesting, you can skip the middleman Skip the acid and let your own brain make the decision for you. I'm grateful it's dead because I want art, not another fucking toning. Okay, guys, um, I don't have a poem for anybody, I'm sorry. Um, but in case anybody didn't notice, we have some signs up. Um, there's some photographs right over here. We have um, artwork that's being displayed by some local artists. Um, last Tuesday night, somebody stole two photographs over here. Um, that really sucks because I was working that night, and it makes me feel really bad. They were located right up here in the front when you walk in. Somebody just grabbed them and walked out with them. If anybody knows anything about it, 
um, say something to me. There's phone numbers up there. There's a sign. Um, so that really sucks, you know, because all we have to go by around here is honesty. So if somebody knows something, please say something to me. Thank you. Art thieves suck ass. All right. That is the least cool thing that ever happened or ever will happen here. Okay, I, I had a cold all weekend. I have a head full of decongestants. I've been up 18 hours. That's what I'm saying. Are you with me? What'd you think of Drac? I thought... For a minute there, I thought we had a bunch of deadheads in the room, like you were preaching to the wrong choir there for a minute. I wasn't sure. They were kind of quiet. Drac there is going to be our feature on February the 13th. That will be our fifth annual Broken Hearted Slam. It's our, it's our only theme slam of the year. The theme is sex, love, relationships, not necessarily in that order. And it's usually a hoot and a holler. Next two up will be, will be Chris and Juju. Uh -huh. All right. This first poem I want to dedicate to Beth. It's called Roses. I got my hands real dirty and my arms cut up, but I didn't care. I planted more bootleg roses last fall. The wild, dark red, exquisitely fragrant brambly ones, the kind that covered Sleeping Beauty's castle after the evil fairy made her enchantment. I want the disgusting Crayola color Caucasian pink stucco of my house to be overrun with these roses. Let them bloom and begin to cover my house, spring, summer, and fall. Then I could pretend my sanctuary was my own secret garden. And I could dress up in long, gauzy, flowery dresses and pretend to be Alice or Beauty or the long-sleeping Briar Rose anytime I wanted to. The second one is for my grandmother. It's called My Grandmother's Hands. My Grandmother's Hands. I bring my grandmother's hands with me when I garden. I can feel them like gloves. She was always most happy outside amongst the cleome, peonies, and the lavender rose she prized so highly. She taught me how to weed. Weeds are unhealthy for the flowers. They crowd them out so that they can't grow. Oh, my two-and-a-half-year-old self was reported to say thoughtfully, I'm all for health, and I yanked out a particularly pernicious dandelion. My garden is all organic now. Hers was not. I don't pull the dandelions anymore because we use the root and eat the greens. But I feel her hands pull me to do something about the Japanese beetles eating my roses, but all I do is pick them off and stuff them in a ball jar and I feel her hands most as they guide me to the hidden places where the pole beans grow. See, there they are. I, he I hear her voice inside my head, just waiting to surprise you. So I bend over and look extra carefully. Our hands together always find them. Nipping beans with our hands, I do it exactly as she showed me. I put a cookie sheet on my lap with a strainer for the good ones. Then I, I can hear her say, only nip the end that was connected to the plant, otherwise you are wasting. So different, and yet her hands were always so dirty and rough when she came home from the garden. So are mine. They fit. Wow, it's been like forever. So all you Grand Rapinians have heard this, but too bad. 
I know. Thank you. Thank you. All right, this is Room 108. Someone told me that, you know, if I really wanted to get creative, I should write another poem about Glenn Gould, so I did. I filled these lips one last time with red machinery and indolent selflessness. I've laid awake for the final moment to listen to the plebeians of midnight hiss as they pass by with their silent prayers, whispering, no more, no more. No more, no more will my forehead wilt as the phrase liar forges its way through my words, my words true. So this must be the final rambling of my unfinished sonata, bridged with doubts and furthermores. And now the turgid, thickening air of winter turns to face me with a bloated grin, smiling in the patterns of brown and gold formica. My floor, once seemingly beautiful, taunts me with invisible bloodstained stigmas of December 6, room 108. And it plays again like a scratch vinyl of Goldberg variations, the seas seeming ostensibly high after ten minutes of the first movement, and you strut to the jukebox of the Café de la France, stuffed full of philharmonics and concertos of those who pumped the quarters in back when it was on singing duty for the forgotten opera house. Because Gould hummed when he played, choking on his own obsession with ketchup, mental notes of eighth grade and Sesame Street, and you nodded your head humming to the symphonic harmonies of the one and only's last breath, filling in the blanks of rest and paused lips. You made me think that the necessity lays in the cluttering of silence, pounding methodical meanings between one-sentence paragraphs when the page laid empty, naked on the cold tile floor. Brussels. I could barely make it out from under the disintegrated whispers. I'm in Brussels. And now the masses muddled together swarm the simplistic streets of a lipstick-stained, white-collar suburb, humming Glenn Gould while their eyes dart back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Repetition is key. And back to me again as the phone daigles six inches from the floor of room 108. This one's, this one's for Drac, because this is my um, high school hippie acid poem that I wrote while not on acid, so it was, you know, kind of perfect. Right. The flowers will sing mornings of imperishable skin sapphire in the silver swoon of July, for I am to murder God with a tender conscience. No longer will I walk across the snows as softly exploding as the crystal flesh of maidens. No longer will my face be raw with the tears of virginity and clear courage. No longer will I be made to walk with my chest cut wide open. Nations fabulous in bursting cities upon shores of heroin sand and waters of sensuous steel. Mist, mist ocean-eyed masses, all the beauteous damned, creatures of the hour with hair of pulsing flame and tunics of carved ice. Babies ripped from the radiating lilac torsos of nymphs, eyes of assassins straight from supernova, children who cry the dawns, the wretched. I bring you liberation from this molecular prison and I absolve you with the dew on the skins of the pure and with the shining maidens, maidens in the stroking and satin tongues of the rain. I bring you the salt lush green gush gate and the purple veins of an evening out of time, soul kissed silk, days of an innocence of gardens. I bring you lips never kissed, whoa, lips never kissed, time. Lips never kiss magnificent anthems of white worlds. I bring you an infant valley where you can fill your magnificent Lungs with radiance in the skies we knew before birth. Here, liquid Antarcticas are flung against the opal placenta of bursting morning as all molecules sp split and gush music of lotus and pure mescaline sweat. And the drowning man's tears are collected in chalices of ice. The reinvention of the soul of humanity has arisen. Let it be cried from the castles of light and hydrogen divine. Let the instruments burst in the perfection of the music. Or we will cry out in the lost hours of the womb in the furious tranquility of it all. I bring you underwater dynasties with nitrous and amethyst towers trembling, topaz twinkling twistings of pearl cathedrals whispering in the aquatic prayers of mermaids with manes of flowing oxygen. I bring you to the alleyways where the meat of angels hang from the butcher twine among the skyscrapers of Moroccan bone in the sterling and spangled twilights among the wretched and the canopies of veins. And in the soft cages of morning, I bring you the virgin corpse of hope. Lily-limbed and luminous-lashed, I bring you the eyes of God, the agony of children of the dawn, kisses of snow, and all inhumane tenderness. And I will take your hand, and we will walk firmly upon fields of fire and diamond. We will live in the heart of the sky, the sapphiric sudden seas of youth. We will know saber-ice boulevards, the white orgasms of roses. I bring you the age of unconceived light.
That was Julian. He's from he's from Grand Rapids. They got their very own slam in Grand Rapids, I hear. Which is pretty cool. That's a pretty cool thing. And I know very little about it, but these people sitting right around the middle of the room here could probably tell you what's going on. And I do have the number, like an uh, info number, on the back of our newsletter, which everybody should have because it tells you what's going on for the next like three months and all sorts of cool stuff. Back to the bucket. We have next up Dawn. Are y'all getting drunk out there? Cause like y'all are too quiet. I'm not gonna put up with that anymore, all right? I'm gonna come out and like kick your butt, dude, I swear. What? Who's talking back to me? Don't make me come down there. I will. Oh, John, stop it. All right, all right. So like, yeah, so I was in California. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. But I wrote a poem about being in California. And hi, Mr. Train. Okay. And uh, I was reading Tom Robbins today. And uh, I came across this quote, and it kind of like, it, go, it goes into the poem, so you'll see. Anyway, it says, uh, it says uh, tunnel vision is caused by an optic fungus that multiplies when the brain is less energetic than the ego. Yeah, 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 okay. If you need it explained to you, you may come and see me later, and I will give you a lesson. Damn it, I keep dropping shit. All right, so this is my poem about California. I'm counting 42s on 94 to 55, and I'm following 23 to St. Louis and passing through populated desolation where we memorialize bloodshed and realization comes with every rusted trailer, screaming that this is the true America. Dilapidated shacks and semis carrying cows straight to our dinner plates killed just for you. And I don't know what disturbs me more, that most Indians don't have running water or that Californians do. And if you're going, to San Francisco, eat sushi and leave. Don't talk to the locals, their lives read like subtitles on a Woody Allen film. They're trying to shove modems up my ass with a dot-com chaser, and it may have been eaten once, but somebody ate the apple, and now when you fall in San Francisco, it's all over. There's a gap on the corner of Haight-Ashbury, and a hippie chick junkie trying to sell me a dime bag at the bus stop, and this is what America is, Silicon Valley and rolling blackouts, one vortex with more money that, than the entire Southwest. There are billboards advertising Indian reservations, littering the landscape with fields of burned-out Chevys, while in Frisco they pay $1,300 a month for a one-bedroom garden apartment, and they consider themselves lucky. They get the Redwoods, and we get Ford fucking motor credit. I want the internet to crash so I can personally smash every fucking Palm Pilot, break the chains that bind yuppies and money away from the 1%, and educate our children for real. Fuck school vouchers. Take them to Moriarty, Arizona, and show them real poverty. Show them Amarillo, Texas. Show them Golden Gate Park, where 19-year-old children sleep beneath bridges huddled together with refugees from 1969, and it ain't long, beautiful hair anymore, baby. Ask them where their next meal is coming from. This is the true America. I found more integrity in Vegas than I did in Berkeley. At least they're honest about their hypocrisy. So I'm counting 23s on 80 to 94, and I'm following 42 all the way home through mountains and farmlands, and I'm happy to be back in the Midwest because I went to San Francisco, and no one wore flowers in their hair. Dawn. Dawn was on last year's Slam Team. It's getting to be about that time, time for our feature, but I'm going to pull two more names out of this bucket. And uh, I'm sure we'll have time for more open mic after the Slam if you just can't wait until next week's huge extravaganza. And Greg.
Are those guys ready? Are they out there? All right, let's hear it for them. Let's all say that. Your mom is so hot. Yeah, I remember your mother. Didn't she used to dance at the reptile house? How many years? How many years? Five, I believe. No! I don't want to hear about it. She was hot. God damn it, I said no! Yeah, she was. <laughs> don't you think she was? Oh, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. Stop it, you pig fuckers! Stop it, you dirty little pig fuckers! Listen, pal, we don't know how to tell you this, but your mom is so hot. Oh, yeah. Your mom is so hot, she watches Eraserhead in the dark, knitting you lamb puppets so you can terrify the drunk staggering out of mulligans at 2 a.m., bawling out, freak show, while miming the shaved lamb fetus scene. She thinks David Lynch should cast Mr. Rogers as a gimp in his next full-length feature. Cackles like Pat Benatar contemplating the demise of Cindy Lauper when she visualizes the possibilities. Your mom is so hot, she thinks Todd Bannon is a great chaperone. Sure. To which Todd Bannon replies, your mom is so hot. Your mom is so hot, she helps you shovel 10 pounds of old college math assignments from the last vacationing tenant that carries your ass to a downtown theater so you can scream through those scribblings about a serial killer whose mother didn't give a fuck about him. Your mom is so hot, she can read you like Helen Keller's speed-surfing braille while you craft a brilliant fiction to mask your plans to hit a rave in Kalamazoo. Your mom is so hot, she cries when you lie to her and doesn't call you on it until the fabrications pile as high as the stack of mathematics you both fished out of that empty apartment. Your mom is so hot she takes the guilt and obfuscation your ex-husband dumped on her and takes it and takes it and takes it and takes it and holds her head up the next morning, pressing on with the inertia of the entire 5th Armored Division. Your mom is so hot, she knows more than she lets on. Watches you draping Baudelaire over your 15-year-old shoulders as you audition the way to the world, knows it fits, custom folding toward your teenage wasteland, Rimbaud greasing your forehead when you return from a smoke-choked bar, prepares towels when you sweep your impatience under the bedroom floor, makes sure the refrigerator is stocked because even Van Gogh had to eat. Curses the ground when your footsteps empty for a weekend and you come back like a chip quarantined in a learned helplessness clinic. Suspends belief when the facts point to self-destruction. Doesn't want to push too hard. Doesn't want to fail her responsibility. Remembers that Edison affirmed geniuses 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration and wants you to finally figure that out by yourself so you don't burn out like a one-hit wonder all the while realizing that within you, deep within you, is more poetry than the Beatles had albums. Burns candles at night in an empty house, wishing she could watch you tripping the light fantastic. Traces your jaw on an old photograph and remembers a restless punk gray night when a better looking blonde bombshell bumped shoulders with her the first week the reptile house opened, blurting out, face ruddy with vodka. Baby, you are so hot. Your mom is so hot. And I know you don't want to hear it. Maybe. Just maybe she needs to hear it from you. All right, all right, I get the great honor of introducing our feature tonight. All right, man. Like, I am so stoked about this. I met, let's see, I met Lucy at the Mad Bar sometime last year, I think it was, and bitch blew me away. And I was all like, ooh, ooh, I want to talk to her. I want to talk to her. And, and, and of course, you know, we were in Chicago and I don't talk to people I don't know. <laughs> I'm just shy like that, man. And then, uh, and then, and then, and then, and then we went to Dayton. And I'll tell you what, this woman, dude, she knows what's going on. This woman is more real than anyone I know. So, Everybody, clap really, really, really loud for Lucy from Chicago. Yeah, Lucy!
Have you ever seen the vagina of a squirrel? Why? Because! Because! <laughs> it was small and very, very flowery. Okay! Everyone is looking at me! Um, okay, um, I'm going to start out with a piece that I didn't get to do at the Nationals, which I really wanted to do at the Nationals, but I didn't get to do. And I didn't throw a tantrum, but I should have thrown a tantrum. It's called, it's, it's, it's a persona poem. I'm working on a bunch of persona poems, and this one is um, in the voice of the Virgin Mary. So if you're Catholic, please don't fucking boo me, because I will cry. It happened at the Green Mill. I got hissed by this fucking Catholic woman. She fucking hissed, and then this very, very quiet guy got up on stage and called her all kinds of cunts, and it was like, revolution! So please don't hiss me, or Dawn will kick your ass. All right, so this is called The Virgin Mary Speaks. I warned him about those men. I never raised him to be king just to be what was needed, the answer to the innkeeper. Perhaps it could have been different, but that night I was just too broken. My legs were sweltering sacks of veins. My bones cracked with the new kicking weight and that punishing ride through the mountains. They never wrote about the open sores on my buttocks, my screaming vagina, and the fear. I stank of it. I had seen the collapse of birthing women the long crushing of muscles, the shriek of ripping skin, the invisible hammering out of a child, and of course, the death. Yes, I had seen this. The men and their fearful feet gathering in other rooms like pigeons, their wives unseen and splitting air with horror and with miracles. Shuddered away, they could hear the blotted screams, but they didn't witness the blood fury in the eyes of a woman whose body seems determined to kill her. They didn't see her brain whipping at logic as it fell into war with sinew. No, they just waited for the babies to come. Or not. They hid from the wrath of birth. So it was easy for that pig-faced innkeeper to turn his back on my stricken cheeks, my trivial lips, and my Joseph to see my Joseph beg. My poor confused Joseph, trying so hard not to panic. See, I had told him those stories back when we were sure we'd have hot water, and that night he could taste the losing of me. That innkeeper jerked his careless finger under Joseph's honest nose. Don't let that book tell you otherwise. There was no gracious offer of a stable, only a slammed dusty door as he munched back to his dinner and his desperate wife. Joseph saw the blood from the lip I was biting, dragged our tottering mule to that little dank stable, hauled me down like a sack, and hid me behind the sheep and the cows. And as I stared at their innocent udders, their shit-cake talks, the world exploded, my mouth stuffed with straw. Even then, I knew he was only mine for those moments in the starlight. And those men came, knocking over me with their knees and swiveling eyes, kicking aside my blood, stinking of camel, myrrh, and pride. The innkeeper, swaggering about in his new celebrity, claiming his place in the birth of God's son. They wrote their stories down, but they didn't ask me anything. I was just another female etching for them to paint in. So is it any wonder I stand here gray and stiff, my face placid, my arms stuck open like forgotten wings? They have made me a stony bird. You look to me with your weepings, your begging questions, willing me to cry one more tear so you can shout miracle and stifle me with your breath and with your fingers. But I have cried enough. And the only movement you will see is the final cracking open of my plaster lips. And whilst you wait for a zoo of blessings, I will cheat you. I will tell you the truth. I will say to you, he was my son. Yeah. 
So you can imagine, I start that poem and this woman starts hissing like in two lines and like halfway through I'm just like reading the poem like this the entire way through. It didn't really work too well. So here, my boyfriend broke up with me on Tuesday. Yeah, but I love him. But I love him. And it got me to thinking about all of the loves of my life, not unlike the poem that was read earlier. And uh, this is a letter to my very first love. It's called Letter to a First Love. That snapshot you keep of me paints my cheeks with a flush and brambles of black hair branch out into my mouth. Hold that shot to you. Let your fingerprints curl the corner and know that when I did lie against you, still and with burning patience, Tangled bubbles tumbled from my silver bones and through the singed lid of my body to break like a handful of butterflies over your simple skin. Your mouth was a perfect wave of sugar that I could not stop watching. Words melted from that delicious place. Sheer and thick, those words chained me and fed me. How did you hatch such words that tapped the clay from my unshaken shape? It's obscene how easily you turned me, and I wanted to be obscene with you. I wanted to open my sweetened skinned bruise for you. I wanted to light wooden matches in shadows where you might be. I wanted to leave long black hairs one by one in the corners of your body for you to pull off in the shower. For there was God in the blackberries I found in your mouth. And when that final door that you slammed between us is hanging off its hinges in an aching house, and when I am an elegant ash of your youth, and your wife holds you in her soft hands like a letter, I know you will remember me. Naked, in a jangle of your words, as you glowed up against me in the shell of our final night. Thank you. This is a piece that ended up being sort of a found piece, found from a bunch of different things that was put together. It's sort of a, a there's this weird thing about signature pieces, so I guess this is called it. It's, a, it's called Soul Flower. <clears throat> She's a soul flower. She slides in and out of feelings like socks. Plastic, china, cardboard eggs drop from her hair in the middle of a breath. Often they scoop into a piece of puddle that strangles them. Her nose never smelled this was coming. She isn't a paper doll, but a firm, firm plum cut into four sharp forkfuls. Her lips sit mute like a kitten curled up under her nose. Her teeth twist like crepe paper. Her eyes dive into the moving darkness. She often wants to be a string. On Sundays, she sews her shadow to her feet. She's forever beached like a soft gulliver tied by her two-legged ideas in boots. Already she's going mad. Well, yes, it seems she is half insane. Oh, and yes, the world has forgotten her and her stare is peeling off. Lately, she's been tying her words up in tight little sacks of skin and throwing them at the doctors barking at her door. Lately, She's been looking for a window to walk through. Thank you. Thank you. This is called Happy Housekeeping with Martha Stewart. It's true, I'm a fan. She's the devil. Don't forget it. On Tuesday, I planted a seed of dislike in the thick yellow earth of your ear, watered it with despise, and by Thursday it grew into a bramble to strangle you. 
and smoking through my lips that you punched purple. I watched life hitch a ride on that last breath from your throat, and I ashed my Virginia Slim in your mouth and sat and thought about the long, hard way that I've come, baby. Then I grabbed your baggy body, and since my arm is not a sore, it was no big thing to drag you to the kitchen where I took your steel blade razor and I shaved you of your skin, flicked and spread it sheet-like on the floor. I pressed potato prints and finger-painted on it, and since my fingers that you broke had curled such naughty whirls, I got some neat impressions. In fact, a gallery bought it. They hung it up and called it So Organic. And the freezer's filled with steaks of you. On Sunday, when it's nice, I roast you in the yard and watch your fat splat on the coals, but I can't cook you for too long. My teeth can't cope with much beyond tender. They've had too much tough from smashings with your fist. Gosh, it'll be winter when my store is empty of you. With cold licking my toes, I'll reach into your closet and gather up your bones that I stuffed in your shoe rack, break them up and make a big fire out of them. A fire that I'll watch with bare eyes till the edge of day as the rest of you crackles and crumbles away like I almost did when I lived in the furnace of your fury. And when my mother calls to talk of baby bottles and bath salts and asks me if I feel neglected with you gone abroad, I can tell her honestly, mother, he's taking better care of me than he ever really did before. This is a piece, it's an untitled piece, and I've had a lot of luck with it. It's one of my favorite pieces. <clears throat> that one boy told me once that one night while I was sleeping with my mouth open, he looked in through my lips and saw an entire moon lodged in my throat and panting. I had to leave him after he told me that because honestly it is my only secret. My smile has become just a modest set of silver bricks holding the moon on the garden of my tongue. Trying to keep us together like two plump birds, that boy said my secret will slide out through my nose eventually and then it will flush down my chin and skid off the tips of my breasts and pad onto the ground like a panther or like Spider-Man. And it will throw out a sticky web and zip away, and then what secret will I have, and what will everybody talk about? People have been talking for days about the vanishing of that white apple cheek that swung in the air like a myth. I know they won't understand if I tell them that it is in my throat, and there is now no night in my body. It is not something which I'm comfortable. You came to my house one day. You had a box. It was a big box, so big you could barely hold it up. You said you hadn't known what to get me, that I didn't fit into any gift box ideas. You had turned to fruit, but you knew I woke up wrapped in pears. You turned to flowers, but you found daisies behind my ear. So you tried to catch two stars to put into my eyes. They were too far, and so you missed. But your net happened to hitch around the corner of the moon. You tugged that down instead. And since it seemed second best, you said you were sorry, but could I do you the honor of accepting this simple moon? I told you I had nowhere to keep the moon, but you said I am endless and I should keep it in me. I looked down at my hands and they were spiraling like dreidels, and so I put them into your hair and into your mouth, and I spread your kisses on my lips, and that calmed me for you are the only person I trust in the world. It's not something with which I am comfortable. With a little prodding, the moon eventually did finger into my throat, and you said to me, now I must leave you. Although I have loved no moment, sound, or person like I love you. But as long as the moon is in you, so am I, that is your secret. And you kissed my eyes and were gone, and I stood there with Jesus in my lashes and was glad that you exist. 
The moon was a tough act to swallow, we all know that. Tougher still is that every person pressed against me is you. All the kisses taste like you. You sit by my head and hold my hand and stroke my hair while I make love with him or with him. But when it is over and he is asleep, I look over his shoulder and breathe a song of moonlight up against the wall to slip down upon you. And it is something with which I am comfortable. Thanks. I just got an urge to take off my pants. But I quelled that. This is um this is a piece that I would never ever slam with. A friend of mine, I was friends with her for about seven years, and she all of a sudden she had a a, a pretty complete nervous breakdown, and it took like three years to actually write about it. We don't speak anymore, so it's it's very weird. It's called Seeing Red for Jessica. One. When you checked out that summer day and burned the pile of your stuff in that vacant lot behind your house, I started to see red. Rose ribbons creeping up doorposts, scarlet blazing around the boxes of cars, crimson stains in the soft part of my panties, our sparkling world frozen in blood and flame, your eyes gray steel blades. Two. Punching a star is no more dangerous than the pressing of fingers into the heart of a young enough girl. Your heart is a brilliant fist of fire shimmering in the bouquet that is its hot copper breath. Three, we have passed glances under three cheeks of the sky and over the tops of at least six lips of comforters, smelling of soap and al green. You always made a better bed than I. I have seen the sweat on your wrist and we have passed fish bones and tongued feathers between crook of eye and back of knee. Now you are burning in a high, high wind. Four, what is it like to melt? Five, Jessica, this is the part that no one will understand. When I speak of rope and of shoes in Spain and diaphanous scarves, a circle of hair and the sleeping of two damp bodies in a furniture store, I have questions. It must have been hard to fit your body into the mouth of every day, but you did it. Into that red bulb of morning with its blooming lips of sun. Your legs would kick 10 miles in a darkness I couldn't walk through. You have a sibling for each finger. You gave your heart to a boy, and with the fire of love, the truth came smoking out. He shrugged off the idea that the personal is political and spat the taste of your love into the hands of your fear. He left to climb buildings and lead the flocks of revolution, just as your roots started bleeding. Six, there is a splendid rage to a forest fire, objective and indifferent to the gentle hips of rabbits. Wispy crisps are waltzed up through puzzled air in the glorious arms of smoke plumes. Everything is equal when it is charred. The soprano of the hysterical bashing of atoms riding on the base mantra of Inferno. Your two arms spread into two desperate wings. Thank you. I'm just going to do a couple more. There seems to be a lot of madness around me. This is actually a portrait of my sister going mad. Huh? Mad! <laughs> Except for I don't know if she knows she's going mad. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Oh, shit. <laughs> I lost my soul, it seems. I'm not sure where or why, but like a bottle of indigo dye tipped over in a backstreet print shop, my body emptied into some parched and threadbare patch, and my soul wriggled out, plop, 
left me standing like a rusted-out factory, a rumble-bumble maze, an ancient rotting cemetery, my soul left in a blink to squeeze between a cough and a sneeze. Is the moon a fishbowl to her cyclone eyes? She took my sight for all but nightmares. Is she sitting on the street, little old girl, hungry and waiting for a plate of empty excuses? Or is she spread like cow cream butter over this hot skillet of a city? At a crossroads, we must have disagreed. For when I turned to see, she was gone, and I stood alone like a burnt piece of toast. She the marrow of my bone, shrugged like an overworked therapist, left me brittle to the talks of time. She, my tree bark umbrella, broke apart. Now cat eye marbles rain upon my brain, so I'm not quite sure where I'm walking or what I'm talking. I'm just stalking the trail of breadcrumbs she's learned to leave behind my little Gretel. We've played this game before. Am I the morning mother or the witch waiting in the cookie dough house? Am I the toothless grandma or the hungry wolf behind a tree? Red has fled into the forest, leaving me the empty apple to sit and play jester for the king, worm of madness. I will not be his feast tonight. I'll dance till teeth drop from my head. Red, if you get the notion in some dream, or if the memory of my smell warms you like a lover's undershirt, then perhaps you'll send a candygram or slip into me on the sly like a hundred husbands do with a hundred drowsy housewives. But if you play the hummingbird buzzing out of reach, then I will be the hungry house cat, stalk you, stick you with my claws, and suck you up like an after-school milkshake. Till I again am half full, or at least only half empty. Thanks. Okay, so I'll just do one more. I know everyone wants to slam. Um, this is, oh, oh, I have a book, a little chappy book. It's called Run, Lucy, Run. And the best thing about this chat book is that Shappy's picture is on the front. So if you want to masturbate to Shappy's picture, and I know I do, and when you meet Shappy, whoo. So it's five bucks. I've only got seven because I'm an idiot. So please buy them. All right. <clears throat> this is the final one. It's called A Fashion Shoot in Morocco. A fashion shoot in Morocco. We swept cameras through the countries, flattening it into glossy printed photographs. Morocco, with its market mountains of stiffened eggs, and orange juice that holds a fork up in a glass like poverty holds a soldier in the army. I have reasons why I love Morocco. The skinny roads curling about like dusty veins and ribbed by secret blue doors that bulge open to courtyards where children wave bread around like stubby dolls. We rode ponies to mountains that poked villages up out of their side, and we sang hard into air as clear as an angel's whistle. The night rolled out so cold that we lay up against each other like celibate threads in a snuff box, slapping the 17 blankets for the heat they were holding back. I will love Morocco forever. Morocco, where there are people who have never seen a white face, let alone the obscenity of a diet. Where I was asked politely and very seriously what planet I came from. After pictures, we dove into the whirlpool of the souk and lost ourselves, but found each other in the galleons of shadows and body-bottled Arabic. I remember your hands picking through the climbing clusters of clay lipsticks that lay hard and round like surprised red nipples. You flashed those night eyes, and the merchants planted French whispers into your ears, which you pulled out through your mouth and strung around my neck in English. In the caves of the ancient bathhouse, you hid the naked version of yourself from my eyes, and in the taxi, you kissed my cheek and ran away, and I fell old at 25. Three days later, you pushed your back against my stomach like a cloud backing into the sky, and we said goodbye to Morocco and flew the tastes of our mouths back to Paris, where we fell upon each other like feathers for three weeks in your little French flat. 
We were two straight girls playing together in Paris. Mr. Henry Miller was knocking at his coffin. We were two little Cinderella's fucking our family curses in the ass. I shaved my head and became your beautiful tooth. And when my bags were finally packed, you stood naked on your bed and air guitar to Ziggy Stardust. My spider from Mars. And I flew to a land where people say y'all and are considered dangerous until proven safe. You are a mother now. You are a widow now. You, Adrienne, are only 27 now. In photos we exist, in elaborate false poses with kings and chickens and other lies of which I am now ashamed. We're forever stuck in two dimensions, in folded up handprints, on pieces of bedsheets, and in sound waves that fled from Paris six years ago. You are the one person my lovers cannot imagine. I have kept one photograph of you. You are shirtless, and you are covered by your arms and by your eyes. You are a beautiful horse. You are a reckless and unstoppable dash of love. Oranges wiggle in front of your eyes, begging to be bitten. And though I would have loved Morocco in spite of you, I learned to love myself as you loved me in Morocco. Thanks very much, you guys. My soul is wrapped in harsh repose. Midnight descends in raven-colored clothes. But soft, behold, a sunlight beam cutting a swath of glimmering gleam. My heart expands. It has grown a bulge in it, inspired by your beauty. Effulgent. Yeah! Thank you. That was for Cecily. All right, this next one's called The Wanton Folly of Mimo.